Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to describing writer and artist, and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. Today, I'm happy to welcome a guest who is a Writers of the Future winner, published in Volume 35, John Haas, with his story, The Damned Voyage. He writes in fantasy, horror, and the occasional SF, but his winning story can be classified as dark fantasy. He lives in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. His goal is to become a full-time professional writer, and today we're going to discuss his writing journey from the beginning to see how he's doing in reaching his objective. Welcome, John. Thank you very much. Always nice to be here. Absolutely. So um, I guess the first obvious question is, how did you get into writing? Um, well, a friend of mine actually reminded me of this not so long ago was that I was always the one who made up the stories when we were playing and when we were little kids. He, uh, he said, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that you became a writer. And I was like, oh, well, uh, it surprised me because I didn't actually become serious about it till maybe 10 years ago or so. But yeah, he's, he reminded me that uh, you were the one who decided that uh, this was going to be the murderer and we were going to be the cops and I don't mind what we were going to play for the day. Wow. Okay, good. So it's been in, it's been in your blood for a long time. It is. It is. Yeah, uh, definitely the storytelling. Yeah. Okay, good. At what point did it transition from, you know, storyteller to actually putting down on, on paper, pen to paper, to uh, move in the direction of becoming an author? Uh, originally, it would have been uh, in my last year of high school was when I first became interested in actually sitting down and writing stories out. And at the time, I was doing um, screenplays and skits and stuff like that for my um my drama classes in, mm -hmm. in high school. Um, and then it transitioned from there into doing stories, which were horrible at first, like not horrible in a, Ooh, that's so good. Horrible kind of way, but they were just horrible, horrible. And um, then I improved as I went along. Okay, good. So I met you originally as a winner of writers of the future when you came out to Hollywood. Yeah. So how many times did you actually enter the contest? I entered, I believe it was six times, okay, six or seven, and I got uh, two silver honorable mentions and an honorable mention before actually getting my win. Okay. And actually, one question I should have asked you already, though, too, is how did you find out about the Writers of the Future contest? Oh, um, actually, originally I was, um, I was living in Calgary, and then we moved here to Ottawa um across country mm -hmm. and at that point i saw that they had um writing courses for continuing education nighttime education for adults so i went and i took one of those courses and the first one was just about the writing process and the second one was about the editing process and the teacher in that course was the one who said oh you should get in your story to writers of the future and i was like what's that so mm -hmm. and uh from there it's history <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. Kudos to the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Very, uh, very grateful for her mentioning that. That's great. Now, I've talked to a few different Canadian authors. Um, I recently interviewed Mark Leslie Lefebvre. I love his stories. They're just, they're so much fun. His uh, Canadian 
werewolf in New York and just yeah it's just a real real fun obviously he's a fan of of Spider-Man and the way it's his book <laughs> yeah yeah but um but Canada um at least a, when I used to go there to the Book Expo Canada or the you know with that this Canadian Books Association would put on if I had something that was Canadian or a Canadian author they're interested but if it wasn't they weren't and is it still Canada's is pretty much Canada first and then beyond that or is it kind of like becoming more amalgamated with you know North America I, I think it depends on the publisher mm -hmm. uh, certainly some of them are very much Canadians only kind of um, kind of thing like there's um, there's been a few anthologies that I've gotten published in that are just Canadian authors right um, and I don't know if it's intentional to be that way or if it's just that it's got less of a uh, casts a smaller net for drawing in authors from outside. But yeah, there are there are some that are definitely Canadian, and then there's some that are international. So then with what you're writing, because obviously you've been writing for a while and yeah. being published, are you mostly keeping it within Canada? Or are you trying to do the international scene or are you using it as a doing the stepping stone? What, what's your plan? The big plan is to go international. Um, I don't pick and choose when when I am submitting short stories out there to places. I'll submit to anywhere. I've been published in uh, anthologies in the UK, uh, magazines and anthologies in the US. I don't think I've gotten into Australia yet, but I have uh, submitted a few times to things over there. What the heck? Um, That's probably the Commonwealth. Yeah. <laughs> Making my way. I've oh, I was also uh, published in two anthologies that came out in uh, India. Oh, good. So uh, India is a, is a really good audience for this uh, for this podcast. So, um, yeah. What what were those anthologies? Uh, Black Vein and Unreal. They were both by the uh, the same publisher. Mm -hmm. Um who I'm not entirely sure is still out there or not. I haven't seen anything from them recently. But uh, yeah, they did these two anthologies. I submitted to both of them and got accepted into both of them. That's great. That's really great. So on yeah. your, um, so then you're, you're, basically, you're primarily an author wherever they will publish you. Absolutely. Anybody who wants to publish my stories, I'm, I'm okay with that. Okay, good. So now what makes dark fantasy your genre? Um, it, it's funny. It, I guess it's because it's what I enjoy to read. Though I do read fantasy, like sword and sorcery kind of fantasy, as well as science fiction and and some like you know more in depth horror that are more more towards the horrible side of horror. Uh, dark fantasy, I think, is just a little bit on the lighter side of horror. It's um, supernatural. It's weird. It's creepy, but it's not necessarily people being decapitated and lots of blood and that kind of stuff. So it's, um, it's certainly what I enjoy reading. I like to be, I like to be scared when I'm reading or creeped out, but not necessarily disgusted. Okay. <laughs> so then I've heard tell that like the difference between like dark, one of the differences between dark fantasy and horror is the ending. That okay. Horror is pretty much a, just a bad ending. It's just not a good ending. 
and dark fantasy can actually have that uptick at the end. Do you have any opinion about that? Um, I think it depends on the author. A lot of times you can read uh, Stephen King's stuff and it's, and it's awful what happens to his characters all the way through the stories, but his endings are generally uh, the good guy wins. And there's, um, if not necessarily positive, it's at least uh, there's hope in his endings. Whereas there are other horror authors where it's just bleak to the end and it leaves you with no hope. And there's a market for that. There's people who, who appreciate that more than uh, a hopeful ending. They find it more realistic, but I like a little bit of hope. <laughs> I like a lot of bit of hope. <laughs> <laughs> so any other difference you see between fantasy and, and horror then? Dark fantasy and horror? Um, yeah, I think, it, like I said, it's more on the, I don't want to say light side because that makes it sound like it's not as credible. I, I, it's just, it's the different sort of horror. It's like dark fantasy and horror are two sides of the same coin. I get it. So on that, so something I'm, I'm, I'm interested in talking about with someone who yeah. writes the dark fantasy and lending towards horror. Um, and we'll get to your, your stories in a little bit, but you're such a nice guy. You're like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I look at you and I talk to you and you're like, man, he's like, he's got some nice boys. When he, when he gave your acceptance speech on stage, it was like, wow, what a touching commentary you made on that. You know, it was your son's birthday and you were like, he said, go for it, dad. And it was like, you know, you're up there, you were, you know, you were crying because it was a, such a touching moment. And it was like, and he likes to write horror or, okay, dark <laughs> fantasy. How's that work? Please. It, it is a very strange uh, contrast there for sure. My, my latest book that we're going to talk about in a little bit, the same character who is in Dan Voyage, mm -hmm. uh, Archibald Shaw. My friend who is one of my first readers, she read it and she said, man, you really put this poor guy through a lot of horrible stuff. And I thought about it and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like I couldn't do that to a real person. I couldn't inflict that sort of thing on an actual living being, but to do it to a person in the story is okay because I don't know. I don't know if it makes me less twisted or not, but, um, uh, I mean, it was like, <laughs> okay, so we're talking about it now. So, all right. So Dan Voyage was a story that fascinated me when I first read it. It was made all in toys because you had an amazing illustration created by Alan Morris, who's just a oh, it's artist. beautiful. Just, it's actually on my wall, just yeah, behind I, me. I love that painting. It's just so nice. Yep. So, and hopefully when we're done with this interview, people are going to read your story and see the art in, volume, in Rise to Future Volume 35, which is available everywhere, including yep. on Amazon. Um, yep. But also now the backstory, because it's interesting, you got your short story there, Damn Voyage, and then you've written a novel that leads yes. up to that. That's, that's actually, this is the conclusion of your novel. And so Cults of Death and Madness yes. um, with Dr. Shaw and, and Singh, his, uh, I see how he met Singh now and like I understand the significance of Singh in him, with him yep. in, the, uh, in the short story. So tell me about this, this novel because it was, 
I really enjoyed it. It was it was great. I, you know, I appreciate you sending me an advanced copy of it. Oh, um, thank you for reading. Yeah, yeah. So it takes place just prior to turn of century, twentieth uh, century in India, and we're under British rule. And um, so, tell me a little bit about the story and the setting and how that came about that you did the novel, you know, following the short story. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's it's a little strange because uh, I started out with the end of Shaw's long story, uh, In Damned Voyage, and then I go backwards to mm -hmm. uh, to go back to the beginning of his career as a doctor and in the army, in the British army, and how he meets Singh. Um, one of the big drives for me in this was Singh. I had several comments uh, from my writing group. I had people who read the, the damn voyage who said, oh, I really thought Singh was an interesting character and I was sorry that I didn't get to see more of him. And I thought, okay, well, I made a note and I'm like, we'll see what comes of that. Mm -hmm. And then I had a comment, a review on, I think it was Amazon or Goodreads, one of them. And the, the person there said, that mine was one of the strongest stories in in the volume and it was like fantastic yeah. he said and he embraces lovecraft's style it's unfortunate that he also embraces the fact that the minority or the um the ethnic person in the story is a minor character who is just kind of shoved aside and i thought well, that's not what I was intending, but that's what a reader got from it. So whether it's what I intended or not, it's what it is. So I said, okay, well, I will write this prequel and Singh is going to be a more integral part of the story. He's not going to be a background character. He's not going to be Shaw's henchman or, or whatever. He, they're both going to be equal characters within the story mm -hmm. and that that was one of the big drives for me in the story itself was to make sure that that Singh was viewed as just as important as Shaw. Well he absolutely is obviously you, you, oh. done, you done did that good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now it takes place in India turn of the century India yes. in terms of research uh, tell me a little bit about that how you did it because I'm assuming that what you wrote is is correct and that that's what really was going on then and that's how they dressed and that's how they were and that's the you know how the citadels were set up and the doctors how they operated and the caste system was very prevalent so yeah. how'd you how'd the research go about on that well I would have loved to have been able to go over to India and take a walk around and see all the places that I was writing about but it just wasn't in the cards for me mm -hmm. um so I had to do most of my research online through books. I got the, um, I forget the name of the, uh, the system, the, the master class. Um, anyway, it was all about India and how the, the system there worked from way back to like a couple thousand years ago up to modern day and how, how things have changed as it went along and when British rule came in. And so that, that in particular was a great piece of research for me. And I wish I could remember 
the title of it off the top of my head, but it's just not going to come to me. And they have quite a quite a an extensive bunch of uh, books and and videos that they have done that are on all kinds of different subjects. And I got this one out of the library, and I was able to use that for a lot of my research. And then going online, I was able to actually find some pictures from the time period, pictures of the train, pictures of how people dressed, the British Army officers, how they dressed, how a doctor dressed differently from a soldier, um, how somebody who was native to India would um would dress and look and, you know, in terms of beard and hair and uh, clothing style and and everything that, that went along with that. And then once I was done that, I gave it to a friend of mine who was actually from India and said, can you find where I am incorrect in, in what I've done? What, where do I need to fix stuff? So he came back to me with several things that needed to be fixed. And I was like, okay, great. That's good. Because when I read it, I could visualize everything you were you were writing. I was hoping I, I'm, I'm assuming this is correct, what he's saying here, because I don't myself have experience, you know, with that, you know, either in studies, or obviously, you know, it was a little bit before my time. So I'm assuming that it was all correct. So it's good that you did that, because that's one of the frailties of a poorly researched story, an author that, that tries to quickie it, that someone who knows it's going to poke holes in it, and it's just going to, those reviews just immediately deflate any um, uh, credibility that, that story might otherwise have had. Yep, yeah. There was, um, like, I don't want, to, don't want to ruin anything for the reader, but there's, um, there's a part where they are in Bombay, now Mumbai, um, and they go into a hotel and there's an elevator. And I was like, fantastic. So I just wrote it with the elevator and everything. And then I did some research on hotels and the first hotel with an actual working electric elevator wasn't until 15 or 20 years after my story. And so I had to go back and fix that. So it's no longer an electric elevator, it's a um, hydraulic elevator. I believe I went with. Yeah, it's like, uh, I don't know if you ever read Elwin Hubbard's story, Typewriter in the Sky, which is a... Uh, oh, yeah. It's a spoof on on writers that quickie this stuff. And so you've got this, the main character is, is playing a Stein, on, on a Steinway piano, which wasn't created for another hundred years after the, <laughs> where it was in the story. And he's got, you know, certain types of clothes and stuff like that, which didn't exist for another 150 years. So, you know, it's that type of stuff where it's, there he, he's poking fun at at uh, hack writers, you know. Yeah. So um, Horace Hackett is obviously the name of the author. <laughs> so yeah, that <laughs> you know that's it's used right. a lot by it's it's been used by various uh, creative writing teachers as as a good example on you know on creative writing. So yeah, it's really important. I think that's actually the first story I ever read by him. Typewriter in the Sky. Yep. Yeah, and it was probably in a writing course where, where I first read that. Yeah, it's um, I remember it was um, Will Ten was his pen name, who taught at Princeton, I think it was creative writing. I think it was at Princeton, and that was the book that he used. He was just he was mm. loved it, and um, 
Mike Resnick, who recently passed away, but he's one of our judges. That was his favorite Owen Hubbard story. And um, he called it, you know, it was the first uh, in, for science fiction in recursive science fiction as a, as a subgenre. Right. So, yeah, it's just, it's a play on it, but that when an author falls into that, you know, doing that type of stuff where they don't do their homework, don't do the research, it, uh, it will definitely come back to haunt them. Uh, I have found that historical fiction is, it's hard. <laughs> I mean, if I were to write a book that took place today or it takes place in another world, which I can say, well, the sky is green, you know? Um, but when you do historical fiction, there has to be a certain amount of truth to what you say, which I which I found difficult with originally Dan Voyage. There's a lot of history that went into that and um, Cults of Death and Madness. And now I'm I'm also writing the book that follows up Cults of Death and Madness, which is... Um, which is in England, so that's more research. Is that still? Is this still a prequel to your damn? Yes, it'll be prequel to Dan Voyage, sequel to Cults and Death and okay. Madness. All right. Yeah. So you've got. So hopefully this. This. Like I said I enjoyed it, and I'm not really a, a fan of of horror. And so, like you said, you clarified this that this is dark fantasy, and. Um, it's just, you know, when I was getting, you know, reading along and then it was like, it was hedging on, on horror and then it pulled back, it went back to dark fantasy. You know, it was just, it never yeah. quite hit that horror, which is good because like I said, I, I can appreciate dark fantasy. I can appreciate where, you know, he's got the, the skirting the, the abyss, but he doesn't quite fall all the way into the abyss. Maybe his yeah. friends did, you know, his, his tutor did, his, his predecessor did, but, you know, he doesn't and he knows what it is. And so, you know, he's got this fine, fine line, this fine edge that he's maintaining between himself and this awful, this, this demigod of, of evil from, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. which is uh, very interesting. Yeah, thank you. Um, actually, you know what, now that you mention it, that might be the best definition. Dark fantasy is horror for people who don't like horror. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that's what I was able to, like I said, I was just, I was going to read it because I told you I would read it. And um, because I really liked damn voyage. Right. You know, but it was like, okay. And then it was just, it hedge and then it eventually just, okay, it didn't. And then it hedged and it didn't. And, um, so that was good, you know, so I was able to get through that. And that was, that was I, I myself believe in hope, you know, yeah. I, I ultimately have hope that the human spirit will survive and will overcome all adversity and all apparent uh, reasons that there's no way it can. And um, so your story kind of does that. It kind of takes a microcosm of maybe what's happening in the microcosm right now on planet Earth. You know, you've got the evil genie that's being let out of the lamp. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, Aladdin's there. He's going he's gonna to survive. So you've got there. Shaw somehow or another is going to, you know, ride that wave and not, and not fall into it. And so um, that's good, you know. And so to that, for that respect, it is a representation, maybe what's happening 
in from a different perspective, but how one person is able to overcome and not get sucked into it. So that was, you know, that was good on that. Excellent. Glad you liked it. I do try to keep some hope in my story. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft is hard because it's very much the one small person against vast evil in the cosmos. Right. So it's really hard to have that glimmer of hope in the story, but I I try to keep it in there. Um, did. Good, good. Shaw himself never gives up. Right. Yeah, so you see other people, you know, the various cults of madness and whatnot that are that are happening. They're like, wow, that's that's nasty. That's gnarly. You know, <laughs> and, and how they deal with other people and all that stuff. And they're like, whoa. I said that that evil god that's there. He's just he's really nasty. And that's obviously you you've got Lovecraft in the in yeah. the back of your head. Just like um, hopefully it's not. You know, you've got you know the one character while. Um, We've got, you know, Spidey is the back of, of, of Lefebvre's book, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> but anyway, no, it's definitely good. Do you have other um, series or other novels that you are got planned or in the works? Um, I've actually got, well, I've got a humorous fantasy trilogy, which I have released from a, um, a Canadian publisher here in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Um, which has gotten good reviews here, and we've shipped off to other parts of the world, mostly to people who know about us here who have shown interest, or to friends, or friends of friends. Uh, so there's that uh, trilogy. And I know a few people who have found me through Writers of the Future have actually gone and read the Reluctant Barbarian, which is the first store, first book of this trilogy, mm-hmm. and have enjoyed it as well. And I think some people get a, a weird idea because they look at my damned voyage story and then they go over and they they li- they read humorous fantasy from me and they're like, "Is this the same guy?" Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is the same guy. So I brought it up because. Yeah. Cults of Death and Madness, that'll be releasing later this year, correct? Uh, later this year. Uh, Kevin tells me that it will be winter of 2021. So I am going with an assumption of December, just because yeah. that's as late in 2021 as we can go, with uh, Wordfire. Wordfire, yeah, with Kevin Anderson. Yeah. So how, did that, how did you make that connection with Kevin? Well, I met him when we were in L.A., uh, doing the Writers of the Future um, panels and, and everything with, and uh, he and Rebecca came in and spoke to us about, um, I think they spoke to us for probably about an hour. And I, I remembered them. I'd read books by him uh, from years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, and I remembered him. I'd read one of his first um, X-Files novels. Right. Uh, so like, 30 years ago, probably now. Um, anyway, uh, we made a connection, I guess, while we were here. And um, uh, a very wise person, when they heard that I was writing a prequel to Dan Void, suggested uh, sending it over to Kevin. Uh, you're, the, you're that wise person, in case you, you don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's definitely a very, very both, both of them are, are such nice people. And Great to work with. 
Yeah. So I just brought that up because perhaps, you know, with cults of death and, mad, of death and madness, when that hits and hopefully it does really, really well, that it's like, what else has he written? And all of a sudden you have a new venue for um, your other books that you've written, your trilogy there. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping as well. So my my plan, I've got two sides to it. I've got the books that I've already written, of course. So there's mm -hmm. a trilogy there. So if people are interested, I've still got other things. Right. And by the time Cult of Death Madness releases, I'll be finished the one that comes after that as well. So uh, hopefully it's a big um, overnight success, the way uh, Harry Potter or Da Vinci Code was. And uh and I'll have the next book ready to go. Good. Well, that'd be great. So now a little bit then about what you got at the Writers of the Future. When you, when you came there, when you won the Writers of the Future and you came out to Hollywood for that week-long workshop, tell me a little bit about that and what you learned of it, from it and how that um, may have helped you with your writing subsequent. Okay. I got so much out of going out there not least of which is going to LA when it's still cold here in Canada. That was, that was appreciated just all by itself. Um, meeting the authors were fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they'd be up there speaking about stuff and I'd just be looking at them and thinking, that's Larry Niven. I've read his books. I, I never expected to meet him in person mm -hmm. um, or, or any of them, Tim Powers or David Farland, Orson Scott Card. I didn't expect to actually ever meet them face to face. Certainly not on that kind of level. Mm -hmm. I could see, um, I could see meeting them at a, a, a convention where I stood in line to get a book signed by them, but to actually sit there and listen to them giving their advice on how to be a better writer um, was amazing all by itself. Also from that trip, I got meeting the other 11 winners mm -hmm. from Register of the Future 35. We're all still in touch with each other. We um, encourage each other. When one of us has something published, the rest of us all go and, and read it. And we say, hey, that was a good story. Yeah, keep, keep going, you're doing great. I read. Are you, still in, are you still in touch with Alan, Alan Morris, your, author, your illustrator? Uh, I was for a while. I haven't spoken to him in a bit, but uh, I sent him an email not so long ago and I'm just waiting to hear back from him. Yeah. Um, I actually bought a few of his other uh, pictures that he oh has done. Such a brilliant artist. My God. Oh my gosh. So beautiful. Yeah. So I went and I bought, I think, three of his pictures that are in my house in various places yeah so now um when you did the workshop any particular of the judges with their with their talking or the any of the essays that stand out the most for you like you mentioned the thing with larry niven oh my gosh it's larry niven so the fact that he talks is is that's, that's good to know that he talks but anything of the yeah. advice or the tips given by these judges that were mostly <laughs> like wow that's kind of like affected how you're writing um, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a writing exercise that they do with the winners of how to write a story in 24 hours, which was, which was really good. Mm -hmm. And all, all three of them had different advice to say on this. 
Um, and the big thing was that the three of them, Kim Power, Scott Card, and uh, Dave Farland. Right, right, Again. right. Um, and the, the big thing is that uh, they they said to us, like, you can see an anthology that's looking for x and it can be very weird like it can be purple unicorns in space and then you're like okay so i don't have a purple unicorns in space story sitting here waiting to send out so i need to make a purple unicorns in space or forget about this anthology but um so their their thing on teaching us this particular skill mm -hmm. was in taking that the criteria for the story that the publisher is looking for and to make a story for it, which I've never done. I have written my stories and then I've sent them to markets that I think they would fit, but I had not written a story to fit the market. So it was, a, it was a different skill entirely. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I think the story that I wrote, that day was not great it's not a good one it's not even one of the ones that i've got in rotation that i'm sending out i think there's parts of it that are salvageable and i will come back to it one day mm -hmm. but it's uh it's it's not ready to see the light of day just yet but it taught you that it can be done absolutely Being an exercise yeah good and then uh, we talked on before the show, we talked a little bit about the um, the Owen Hubbard essay, Suspense. Yes. So what about that that you found was um, good for you? The best thing about that essay, Owen Hubbard goes into what suspense is and, and how it makes a difference in your story. But the best thing he does in that essay, what and it sticks with me, is he goes through a particular short passage that happens and it, and it's like, Oh, okay. And then he goes through it again, but he makes it suspenseful and you're like, Ooh, and you're drawn in. Like, you know, what's going to happen because you just read the, the shorter, less dramatic flatter, version flatter, of it. Yeah. yeah. The flatter one. Yeah. But you're still drawn into it because the use, of language and you you engage the senses of the person who's reading and you 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 just pull you pull the reader in and that one sticks with me and when i'm when i'm sitting down and i'm writing i am thinking okay i want people particularly to be drawn into this scene mm -hmm. okay now how do i do it and that's when I go back and I'm like, okay, okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Suspense, the essay. Yeah. Now, you also did the Owen Hubbard Writers of the Future online workshop. Yes. You released it last year. But you've also done the original workshop as, as a winner. So how do they yeah. compare and what did you get out of it when you did it the second time, when you did the, uh, the online workshop? Uh, they compare very well. If um, if you're a writer out there who has not won Writers of the Future, this is the next best thing. Like, yes, it's amazing to go and actually meet them in, in person, all these amazing writers. But doing the workshop, you can still 
get the knowledge that you would from the workshop. Um, and for myself, I don't know about the other Writers of the Future winners who, who have done it, but for myself, I, I got things that I missed from the actual live workshop that I was at because I was making a note or because I was starstruck at being in the same room as these people, or I just got distracted by something that was happening in the room. Uh, on, in, the, in the online workshop, you can actually pause it, make your note, think about it, and then when you're ready, you can press play and go again. Or you can rewind it and you can listen to it again. Or you can do the whole course over again and be like, oh, I didn't catch that the first time through. Did they add new content? Good. So that that's that's what I got from it. And and it's an amazing course. There's there's not just the speakers in that course, but there's uh there's all the uh essays and um actual examples that go along with that course. Yeah. I mean the the product of the course, you know, which we hope people will take advantage of is you have a story written. I mean, it, it walks you through yeah. how to write a story. So it's not just here's somebody talking to you. You can actually, it takes you each step of writing a story. And so it gives a lesson section on starting a story. Then has you, okay, come with a story idea, start the story. Okay. This is what you do. You know, that's Dave Farland. And then you've got, okay, now this is how you change. This is the middle of a story. And there you got Tim, um, powers doing that and then how to finish the story and there you've got Orson Scott card and you got I think it's 55 different sections under subsections under I think 11 major sections in that online workshop so it just the purpose is to, is to help make writers which is the original purpose that Owen Hubbard set out in 83 when he created the writers of the future contest originally yeah so um what would I mean, I think maybe we've already said it there too, but just in terms for an aspiring writer who's looking at either fantasy or dark fantasy, what types of um, thoughts do you have on on what they should do, some of the do's and don'ts on getting into that, that you've, you know, so that you can maybe save them a little bit of the heartache that you had to go through? Mm. Uh, I would say that, well, the first thing before you can be a writer is you have to be a reader. If you don't have time to read, then you're not going to hone your craft mm -hmm. and become a better writer because you have to see what has come before. Mm -hmm. You have to see what's already been done. You have to see how people are saying it. You have to see how uh, dark fantasy is different from science fiction, which is different from mystery, from romance. Uh, each of the genres have their own little thing that they do and once you know the rules of that genre then you can break those rules but you can't break the rules until you know what the rules are so step one would be reading and read as much as you can take courses like the writers of the future online workshop take that take uh local courses meet up with other writers associate with people in your profession so you you need to do that to improve yourself as well because without 
without being able to talk to other writers and and writers who are a step further than you, you can't necessarily improve yourself because the only feedback you're getting is when you set out a story and it comes back to you. If you're lucky, the editor or the publisher has put a comment, a personal comment on it. But most of the time, it's just a form letter because they have too many to send out. So then on, you're talking about other readers. So have you found like certain forums or, or what type of writing groups or forums have you particularly um, found the most helpful? Um, well, I've got a writing group here in Ottawa, which is very useful. Um, we we all met at a um, at a seminar that we went to, and some of us came together. And mostly, it's all gone by the wayside. But there's three of us who still meet and talk about stuff, which is very useful. They are two of my first readers for everything that I that I send out. Mm-hmm. Online stuff. There's the uh, Writers of the Future Forum, of course, which uh, Wolf Moon is out there and hunt him down, get information from him. Every, everything that he says is interesting and, and he's very much involved in the Writers of the Future Forum. So he is... Um, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. Yeah. Um, and we, we were roomies at uh, Writers of the Future 35, which oh, was cool. great. Um, and you, ne- you never know, right? You're, you're meeting up with somebody and you're like, okay, you're going to be rooming with this person. And you're like, okay. And then you meet him and you're like, oh yeah, this guy's all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He really wants to help and he, he really cares a lot. Yeah. So he's, yeah. you know, that he's in there helping on the forum. It's just, it's, it's literally it's a godsend for us because he is, he is, he is so sincere on wanting to help people. Yep. And he's yep. doing well too, which obviously yeah. is great for him. Yeah, he's had some great success. Yeah. Um, sorry, you. There was one more step for the um, advice part. Mm-hmm. the The third piece of advice is sit down and write. You can go to all the shows and read all the books on how to write and listen to people talk about writing, but if you don't sit down and write yourself, you're not a writer. You're a reader or a viewer. So sit down and commit to doing so much a day or a week or whatever your schedule permits you to do commit to doing that do it and don't stop until you're successful okay good now again we're doing this interview because well obviously because i want to do this interview with you but also because (laughs) but also because um you've got a specific end game of being a full-time professional writer and, yes. and we're, we're kind of like discussing your journey from, you know, when you first were the storyteller with, with your kids in, in grade school to now you're a published author and you're moving in that direction of becoming, of being able to quit your day job. Yeah. So with respect, again, so this is to the aspiring writers or writers that are, have started, but they want to make their next step and, and move on up to, you know, to professional writerdom. So what is your... What is your game plan? Like how many hours do you devote to writing a day? Um, what's, what are you looking at now? Let's do that question first. And I'll ask my next question after that. So how much do you devote to writing a day? Um, it, it depends on the week. 
Um, I'm a single dad. Mm -hmm. So I have my kids every second week. So the week that I have my kids, I have a certain amount of focus that I put to them. So I get up earlier on those weeks and I do writing until it's time to wake them up and get them out and off to school. And then I go off to my job and I do that. And then if I'm lucky, I get to do some of the, some more writing at the end of the day. My kids are a little bit older now and my younger one really likes to cook. So he is actually taking care of dinners. That's some awesome. nights. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, uh, he'll do like one or two a week and that'll give me a good hour to sit and, and write. So on the weeks when I have the kids, probably um, two, two and a half hours a day that I get in. On the weeks when I don't have the kids, I'm probably about the same during the week. But on the weekend, then I will have, I'll do six or seven hours, sometimes eight. If it's really going well, I can lose all track of time <laughs> and look up and go, oh, I skipped lunch and it's almost dinner time. Right, right. So then, now in terms of, we use the word writing, but do you also include research and other aspects of, of gaining information, even if it makes going out and taking a walk or looking at, at life? Or Kevin does his hikes, you know, Kevin Nelson does his hikes, different people. Nettie Corfor says when she's, what she considers her writing time includes when she's thinking about the stuff, she might be cooking or whatever, but she's thinking about what her story is and researching and stuff like that. Is that, when you say writing time, does that include that as well? Yeah, it includes all the stuff that goes along with writing. Um, definitely the research, because the research can be a big part of it, particularly mm -hmm. when you're doing historical fiction. Um, I will be writing and then I'll be partway into something and I'll realize that I don't know what kind of doorknobs they have in India in 1885. And so I'll, I'll stop what I'm doing or... Sometimes I'll make a, a note in, mm -hmm. in, in red font to say research doorknobs and then I'll continue on. But sometimes it's just something that I need to know now. So I need to go and do the research now because it's going to affect a bunch of stuff. It's got a cascading effect. So I will, I will stop and I'll go and do the research. So yeah, um, research is part of the writing process, uh, mm -hmm. outlining, uh, thinking about the story. Uh, like Kevin, I'll go and I'll do a walk. Um, I do generally about an hour walk a day. And when I have the kids, they'll come along with me and we'll all walk together. But when I'm by myself, I'll take my phone and have my voice recorder on it and I'll be... Mostly I'll be doing outlining um, as I'm walking around. And then when I come home, I'll transcribe it into, um, into the story and, and then sit down and actually do the writing of it. Okay. Well, that's, um, that's, that makes sense because a lot of people are very, you know, they, I, need, I need to write. I, need, I, I got a blank page. I need to write. I need to write. I need to write. And they get very uh, freaked out about it. And it's something that is... I wanted to make sure that's clarified because people need to know that, no, it's not just confronting that page and doing something. You need to actually do the research, you know, what you're even going to write on that page. Yeah. Yeah. And, I've, and I find 
if it's a new story or if it's a new book and I've got that white blank page, I'll let myself, uh, generally I write linearly. So I'll start at the beginning and I'll go all the way through to the end. Uh, I know there's other people who will jump around it and stuff, mm -hmm. but it doesn't work for me. Right. Um, the only time I will do differently is uh, when I'm starting something new. I can, I'll, I'll have a particular scene in my head and sometimes it might be the ending and I'll write that and then I'll go back to the beginning and fill it in. That's, that makes sense. You got to go with where your yeah. creates happening. Yeah. Anything to get the ball rolling. Yeah. So then on, um, so now the next question I had was, say at what point, what, what kind of shape you need to be in before you can say, okay, I'm going to turn in my, um, resignation slip at work oh yeah that's a good question it's uh, <laughs> i i have thought of that um basically i need to be able to replace my work income with what i get from my writing sure so but because writing isn't a um you don't get a weekly paycheck it would I would be looking at the year. So if I've got, if last year was equal in writing income to what I make from my job, I can start thinking about that. And maybe if not pull out completely, maybe I can cut back on hours and devote more of those hours towards writing. You know what, what Kevin Rebecca did on their, on their workshop, sense. The thing they talked about, they had a year's worth of income in the bank before they quit their day job. Yeah. They had a year's worth of, I mean, of all the expenses, you know, the mortgage, the insurance, the, everything was covered. They had that in the bank before they quit their day jobs. And then they were able to make the, make the, the leap. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I vividly remember them telling us not to quit our day job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely something that, uh, you don't do it unless you're ready to to handle all, all aspects and keep your 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 way of means of life going. Because also, if you're if you find that you can't eat, you can't do stuff like that, it's not going to help you on your writing. No, no. If you are under so much stress, your writing will suffer from it. Or whatever your art is, it could be painting, it could be uh, acting, uh, whatever that might be. You can't. You need some stress. Yeah, because you need you need, you need to that motivation. It. You need the motivation to to write your yep. next book or paint your next painting. So that's if that's how you make your money. You need you know then maybe you need a little bit of stress there, a little bit of of that urgency. Like I bet I gotta get to work if I'm gonna pay my rent next month. Yeah, yeah, but it can't be that stress with that's like a boot standing on your head kind of yeah. stress. You don't want that kind of stress. Yeah, well, <laughs> Ellen Hubbard covers it. In, I think Manuscript Factory talks about. You know, you're the, you're the factory, you know, so you need to be able to take care of that. And um, if the people in the house, you know, have a problem with you making noise, just they need to realize that you're the one that's bringing the that's providing the roof over the as shelter and putting the food on the table. So if you're going to write from nine to 10 o'clock at night in the den, then that's your space. That's your time, you know. So yeah. it's interesting. That. And my kids are very Sorry, my, my kids are very good about that, too. They're like, okay, go do your writing. We'll, we'll, we'll do whatever, but you go do your writing. Like, I'll, I'll get up on the week.
weekend. And I'll be like, oh, what are we going to do today? They're like, well, you're going to go and do your writing, aren't you? It's like, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer, Sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So um, in terms of now how people find what you have written, and then hopefully this will be coming out shortly, you know, within a, a reasonable time before the release of, of your uh, – of your novel, Cults of Death and Madness. How do people find you right now? How do they, you know, social media and on the website, how do they find you? And um, what do you recommend they read as the first reading for you? Oh, that's a good question. I spoke to a friend of mine earlier today who said that um, he's just getting caught up on, on my stories. He's starting, he's starting from where I first got published and working his way up to today's stuff, which I thought was pretty cool very friendly. Um, yeah huh. yeah but i would i would say i would recommend that you go with the genres and the ideas that you like if if you prefer science fiction i've got some science fiction out there if you prefer fantasy i've got some fantasy out there if you prefer books to short stories well i've got something for either side as for where you can find me um you can search for me on uh, Amazon. I'm I'm in there, and most of my stuff is is in there. The stuff that's still in print. There's some things that went to magazines or anthologies that are not in print anymore, um, which means they're mine again, and I can try to resell them. Um, I've had two stories that I've been able to sell a second time as reprints that have gone to new markets, which is which is very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, my my actual website is John has one word dot weebly dot com. So John J O H N H A A S dot W E E B L Y dot com. That is correct. Oh, good. And then social. Then it's also just John Haas, or is it some other little numbers attached to it? Um, on Twitter, I am John has 11 because I guess I was the 11th one who actually made it in there, unfortunately. And, uh, uh, I was a bit slow to Twitter, so I didn't get John has number one. I'm on, I have a Facebook page where I am, uh, I'm trying to get better about posting things about writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on Sundays I will generally sit and I will do uh, a quick, you know, paragraph or so of something to do with writing for um, other writers or people who are interested in reading about that um, through my my Facebook page. Mm -hmm. Apparently, you can Google me and I'm the first one that pops up. Yeah, I've had John, John, I've been calling you John Haas, but so John has author and it's just it's just right there. You're on top there. It's, It's very fast. But John Hass or nice. Hass author. Uh, you can, <laughs> and you can pronounce it either way. Okay. John Hass or John Haas. I, I'm good with either way. Uh, realistically, the double A, it should be a Haas. But my family always pronounced it Haas. So. Okay. Well, all righty then. Well, thank you very much. I've, re- I've really enjoyed this. And I really am looking forward to you having an amazingly successful release of your, um, of your book coming out. I'll just say this fall. And, um, and that Cults of Death and Madness with um, Wordfire Press with Kevin Anderson. 
And I will definitely make sure that you and Emily get a copy of that book. Very much appreciated. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elrin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, John. Thank you, John. I appreciate it.